Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. How many of you know that God is so worthy? Man, and everything that we've experienced in life, it does not affect his worthiness. He still remains God. His character remains untainted. He is good. And I am just glad to be here this morning to be able to share the word of the Lord with you on this morning. Like, I got to tell you something that Pastor Rife said. We have like the coolest pastors ever. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Rife said, tell my peeps I said hello and I missed him. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> So I'm telling you guys, he said, peeps, he, he misses you all. So he's, he and uh, Pastor Shay, they're traveling, but they wanted to send their love and let you know that they are, they're madly in love with you. They love our house. And we're just going to continue on what uh, he's already been carrying out this morning. I want you guys to turn your attention to our year-long declaration. We should be able to commit it to memory by now. It says that I, will you say it, say it with me? I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it. That is so, so good. And it's so true. Um, and you can go ahead and get prepared. We're going to, today, we're going to be talking, um, we're going to be coming from Mark chapter 7, verses 15 through 21. We want to welcome those who are joining us online, family and friends. We want to welcome you guys to Destiny Church International. I think Brandon did an amazing job in worship. <laughs> You're talking about one man worship. I was like, oh, that's so good. Look, I'm, I got to be honest with you. I have, a, I have a confession to make. I traded comfort for cute this morning. Like, I really wanted to stand up throughout the entire worship, but my feet were like, oh, girl, you better sit down. <laughs> so this morning, um, y'all prayed with me about these shoes because, oh, goodness, we're going to work through it. So um, we've been in a series entitled Koinonia. Right? Pastor Rife has led us into that series entitled Koinonia. What exactly is Koinonia family? It is fellowship, covenant, relationship, community, contribution, participation, partnership. And here's in addition to that definition, intimacy. You guys heard of intimacy? Into me, you see? Intimacy. And so today I'm going to be, or we're going to be talking about the enemies of Koinonia. The things that hinders koinonia. Because I believe that it is, it is impossible to fully represent anything or anyone without revealing both sides. Everything and everyone has two sides. You have good, you have bad. You have fear, you have faith. You have nice, you have mean. And some of us are nice when we're at church, but when we're at home, we're mean. You have strong, you have weak, you have love, you have hate, you have hot, you have cold, you have light, and then you have darkness because everything has what? Two sides. 
And I believe that you and I were sent to this world to make a contribution, to solve a problem. And here's the hard truth. Either we are solving problems or we have become part of the problem. Can I say that again? You and I were sent to this world to solve problems. We were sent to this world to bring a solution because we have the solutionist, the greatest strategy that ever lived or ever walked the face of this earth on the inside of us. And his name is Jesus Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So everything that we need is already on the inside of us. The Bible says you shall receive power when after that the Holy Ghost have come upon you so everything we need we have it I have given you all things that pertains to life and godliness we're not without hope we're not without empowerment we're not people that don't have solutions we are strategists we are solutionists in the earth and either we are solving problems or we become part of the problem and I know that's hard to believe but God is saying that there are enemies there are enemies among us. I'm not talking about people, but there are things and there are situations that hinders us from going deeper and going closer and having partnership and intimacy and fellowship and covenant relationship, not just with God, but with each other. And if we're going to really experience this, then we have to be honest about where we are and where God intends for us to be. Because as believers, we're supposed to be going from glory to glory, right? It's a maturation. It's a place of development. It's a place of growth. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. To me, nothing irritates me more than to hear people complain or criticize something. And they're always offering criticism, but no solution. And neither do they offer themselves to even be part of the solution. I may not have the answer, but I can help you solve the problem. Or I can outsource this, or I can do this. But sometimes we take on a critical spirit. We want to talk about people. We want to talk about things. But we're not helping. And that is not the heart of the Father. The Bible says, you which are spiritual, if you see your brother overtaken in a fall, you are to restore that one. How? In the spirit of meekness. And that is the heart of God today. And we see this criticism playing out in our text today. Now, I know that you've already there, but just let me give you a backstory, okay? Just, just rock with me. Jesus, in our text, is confronting the religious leaders for their criticism. Now, they were condemning the disciples for not keeping their hand-washing tradition. And they were coming to Jesus because he, disciples mean student, right? It's a follower. They were pupils. They were students. They were lifelong learners. And so Jesus is walking through Jerusalem with his disciples. And the disciple, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, the Bible called them, they were criticizing his disciples because when they came to the feast, everybody had washed their hands. They had kept the ceremonies. But the disciples come in like a bunch of heathens and they're just begin just eating. And that's how I want to be sometimes. Like when I'm really hungry, just put, let me get to the table. I'll sanitize my hand and you know, it's, it's okay. But Jesus says to them, and, 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 and we have to understand that he not only saw 
what they were saying, but he also saw and heard the motives. They said to him, why do your disciples not keep the conditions, the traditions of the elders? And guys, it was not just, see, here's the, here's the, the, the logic, but well, it's illogical really. But here's what they were saying. Here's what their tradition consisted of. That when you get ready to eat or before you eat, they didn't just not wash their hands. They washed their hands, but they didn't keep the customs of the elders. And this is how they had to wash their hands. They had to cup their hands together. They had to hold them up. Someone else would come and pour water on their hands, and then the water would run down their wrists. And then if they did that correctly, then they were allowed to go to the next step. And the next step was they would hold their hands downward, and once they hold their hands downward, then the water would run downward. They would hold their hands pointed, and then they were allowed to go to the next step. That's way too much before eating a meal. Really? Really? Did y'all do that for Thanksgiving? <laughs> and Jesus is saying, really? So basically, they were not just saying, they were not condemning the disciples, but really what they were saying is, you're their teacher. You must be teaching them something. You must be teaching them not to obey the customs or the traditions of the elders. But what the religious leaders failed to realize, but that the disciples had been in koinonia. They had been in fellowship. They had been in covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus. And because out of their relationship with him came a degree of, of freedom that the religious leaders have not experienced. Let me tell you something about religion. Religion was will keep you bound. Religion will keep you replacing God, true authentic relationship for customs and traditions and fallacy and all of these things and strivings that has nothing to do with relationship. He said, I come to set you free. I come to give you life. And when you are in real authentic relationship, I don't have to hide who I am when I'm in your presence. I can be transparent about my hurt. I can be transparent about my pain. I can be transparent about my history. I can be transparent when I'm in real authentic relationship with you because it's not going to change how you see me. And the Bible says that they had been hanging out with Jesus, the giver of all life, the source, the life-giving source. They had been hanging out with him and his disciples, the Pharisees, had not, did not have this experience. And religion is the enemy to authentic relationship. I want to ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you had koinonia with Jesus? When was the last time you spent time with him and he began to say things to you that you needed to hear or say things that to you that you didn't know you needed to hear? Because there are times that God will say things to us that we're not aware about. When was the last time he began to whisper sweet nothings into your ear? When was the last time you spent time with him just soaking and marinating in his presence and allowing him to love on you? Koinonia. Fellowship with him allows me to have fellowship, covenant relationship with my church family, with my friends, with my co-workers, with my business partners, with those who I'm called to, with my mentees. When I spend time with him, he begins to tell me things that I need to say to them or tell me things that are hurting within, within them that I can speak to, koinonia, covenant relationship, partnership. 
partnership. And so religion seeks motives. I'm sorry, religion seeks methods, but God sees motives. He's about the heart. You know the, the scripture that says man is always looking at the outward appearance. Oh, she's cute. He's handsome. He didn't have any Holy Ghost. Oh, they're nice. They're, they have this gift. They have this ability, but they have no real relationship. They have no true lifestyle. They have no true purity. And we cannot trade like I sacrifice comfort for these uh, for cuteness. We cannot trade. We cannot afford to trade that in our koinonia relationship with the father and with our family and with our friends and with our spouses. It has to be from an authentic place. It has to be from a pure place. And that may mean that sometimes I have to tell you the truth even when it hurts I don't mean to hurt you but sometimes the truth hurts but the truth that hurts you will also heal you the truth that hurts you will also heal you I took my son to the dentist one day and the dentist was doing something to his teeth and he said mom he said why did you let him hurt me and I looked at him almost wanting to cry. I said, baby, I said, I allowed him to hurt you because the hurt that he, you experience is going to heal you. If you did not get that teeth pulled, if you did not get that procedure done, then later on your teeth, your tooth was going to be rotten. And so what hurt you actually healed you. Have you ever been in a situation? It hurt so bad. You saw no relief. You saw no exit. But that thing at the end, when you, when you came out of it you find out that what was really meant to hurt me healed me I'm better because of it I have a new perspective because of it and so this is where Jesus is before I get into the text I'm still on my backstory I gotta say something real quick guys it just amazes me how we paint this picture of this 21st century Jesus right the Jesus that we paint he's weak he's passive Look, the Jesus that we paint, like he just, he's like anything goes. He has no standard. But reality is that it's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Bible says, can I say to you that meekness is not weakness. It is strength contained. Here's what Jesus said. No man takes my life. I lay it down. You see, it's not that I cannot, but it's that I will not because I have self-control. I can say it, but I won't say it because if I say it, then it's going to damage and I'm not your enemy. I'm tr not trying to harm you. Some things I say may hurt you, but I'm not trying to harm you. I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the Jesus of, of now, not the Jesus that we've experienced, the Jesus of the Bible, the Christ, the King, the Savior, the Messiah, the, the, the one that came and died and, and lived and healed and opened blind eyes and caused the deaf ears to hear. He did not have an avoidance personality. He did not have an avoidance personality. The Jesus of the Bible, he, he engaged in healthy confrontation. The Jesus of the Bible, he called a spade a spade. The Jesus of the Bible, he was an incredible communicator. And the Jesus of the Bible was a great boundary setter. Because sometimes we feel like to be in relationship with someone, we have to sacrifice our boundaries. 
you really don't want to do that. But because I'm in a relationship with you and I, I, I want to please you, I'll do it. That was not Jesus' heart. He said, I feel safe. He didn't say these words, actually, but this is the principle. When we are in relationship like this, and when you do this, it's going to affect our intimacy. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are times that we have to set boundaries in our relationship. It's called self-love. I love God. I love you, but I also love me. And because I love me, I want to make sure it's not self-preservation, but it's making sure that the relationship remains authentic. I want to be in koinonia with you. And if I'm going to be in koinonia with you, then you can't yell at me like that. If I'm going to be in koinonia with you, when you do that, that hurts. So please stop. Do you understand? These are practical things that we church, like we go to church, but we don't live this out in the world. We let people run over us. We let people say anything to us, but that is not the heart of the father. That was not how Jesus was. He even told the, the, the Pharisees, look, y'all, Jesus said, y'all hypocrites. He said it. He called them your Jesus, our Jesus. He called them hypocrites he was confrontational healthy confrontation let's read the scriptures I'm so glad um, in Mark's Mark's gospel it allows us to see his composure in the face of conflict now I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation and you guys may have another version but you can follow along with me with whatever version that you have Uh, Mark 7 verses 15 through 21 I know you guys have been there a long time ago it says it's not what goes into your body that defiles you you are defiled by what comes from your heart pay attention to that then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him he's taken up for them but they didn't understand what was going on What he meant by the parable, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He had just used, don't you understand either, he said to his disciples. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. It's talking about the digestive system. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, verse 21, out of a person's heart come, and he goes on to list because he wanted them to be aware of these things, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And here's what he ends. All these vile things come from within, within they are what defile you. This text, if you read it, when he starts it off, it is all about correction and realignment to truth. He had he is now confronting what the Pharisees and the scribes were propagating or teaching. And he says, no, that's not the truth. He says, it is not. That's a word of con- correction. 
It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. So when we correct or when we adhere to correction, we are bringing ourselves back into alignment with the word of God. Remember our declarations, I will constantly guard my heart. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. Right. And so when we speak truth, it gives people an opportunity to change. Right. When we don't speak truth, when we don't tell what's the opposite of that. Remember, I told you that everything, there are two sides. Right. When we don't speak truth, what happens? Exactly. We become part of the problem. It's called an enabler. We don't give people that opportunity when we don't speak truth and we keep them in bondage. And I'm going to go on real quickly, but I want to tell you that wherever God begins to talk about the heart in the Bible, he is not talking about a physical organ. When God begins to speak about heart, when we see the heart in the Bible, he is referring to the inner man the spirit, the mind, the seat of our emotions, right? It's where our desires live. It's where we have all of these things, all of these aspirations, all of these goals, all of these emotions, all of these feelings. It's housed in the heart. So he is not talking about a physical organ, but he is talking about where my emotions dwell, right? And so I'm going to move a little bit further, but I want to say this to you as I was uh, studying this I said to God I had some questions because I see I said okay God I see where you identified the source you help us to identify the source you help them to identify the source you said to them that the source is your heart it is not what goes out of man that defiles it is not what goes within a man that defiles him but it's what come out of the man that defiles him because it comes out of the heart we understand now that's a source I said, but God, I don't see you offering a solution. And he said to me, daughter, he said to me, this is so good. He said, daughter, he said, the solution is infused in the source. Listen now. He said, the solution is infused in the source. The word infused means to be saturated. The word infused means to be soaked in. The word infused means to be immersed. And this is going to help you. He said, it is a principle that empowers, that empowers itself when it is, it is applied. And I'm going to give you scripture text for that. I'm going to say it again because I want you guys to get it. He said to me that the solution is infused, immersed, soaked in within the source. It is a principle that empowers itself when it is implied, when it is applied. Let me give you scripture takes. Proverbs 6 and 31, before I go here, it says, but he, who is he? The thief, which is the source, right? When he is found, now here's the solution. He has to return sevenfold, seven times. The solution is infused within the source. Did y'all, are y'all getting this? The solution is infused within the source. Here's another one. You know this one. John 8 and 32. And you shall know the truth. What is the source? The truth, knowing the truth. And the truth that you know, not the truth that you don't know. But the truth that you know shall what? Make you or set you free. That's the solution. 
The solution is infused within the source. Now, I heard before somebody else made a declaration and said that I am the truth. Somebody by the name of Jesus, he said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And that's just what he said, what he was saying, that I am the source in the solution. The solution is infused within the source. And I came this morning just to tell somebody that God is going to bring victory in your life because he's helping you to identify the source. Because once you've identified the source, you also have the ability to empower the solution because a solution is infused within the source. Maybe the source has been there's been a thief there's been a robber in your house not a physical one but one that is joy that is robbing your joy one that is stealing your peace come on there's been a robber in your house and it's been taking away the happiness in your family and I came to tell you that when the thief is found he has to return sevenfold just identify the source and once I identify the source then I've also have identified the solution the solution is infused within a source. If you've got sickness in your body, you've got to identify that this is a spirit of infirmity. I've identified where it is. I identified the root and now I have the ability to uproot it. The Bible says that healing is not the bread of the world, but healing is the children's bread. Are you a child of God today? Come on. Do you belong to God? Is he your father? Is he your daddy? Then guess what? The healing is for you. Healing is for you. Once I identify the source. The solution is infused within the source. And here's where we go, that the enemies of koinonia can be either within or without. The enemies of koinonia can be either within or without. And we got to understand, and here's what I feel like God wants us to know, what he wants me to tell you, that if you're going to be able to conquer the enemy's attack from without, then you must first identify and cast out the enemy within. What if, just what if, what if the enemy is inner me? What if the enemy is enemy? It's not really my husband. It's not really my wife. It's not really my children. It's not really my church family. What if the enemy is inner me? What is it? What if, it, if it's because I've experienced a level of distrust in my past that it's hard for me to be in relationship with people or hard for me to be around strong women or strong men? I become intimidated by their presence. What if the enemy is really inner me? What if the, the secret battles that I'm experiencing is causing me to project my pain on you and it's not really that you don't love me and don't like me but you cannot deal with me because I have not dealt with the enemy in a me the enemy in a me there's been times in my life I'm gonna be honest with you guys I'm gonna be transparent with you that I felt like everybody was wrong I felt like something was wrong with everybody but me until I begin to sit down in the presence of the Lord and the Lord begin to show me daughter the enemy is really in a you come on that thing that you're having problems with that's hostility that you're experiencing that's coming from your own heart come on that offense that you're experiencing that is coming from your own heart it is not what they said to you it is what you are what you are housing and what you are holding yourself hostage to because the enemy could be 
enemy. Maybe it came from that divorce. Maybe it came from that domestic violence situation. Maybe it came from that molestation as a child. Maybe it came from that broken relationship. Maybe it came when you lost that job or you lost the business or your house foreclosure. The enemy really is in me. And when I get around people, I think they know I used to do this. I thought everybody was talking about me. But you know what? It was not their voices. It was the voices that were in my own head that I was saying to myself, and it was not the people that were talking. It was me. It was me. This. It was the enemy inner me. Enemy. And don't go out. Because I used to do this too. I'm just telling on myself. Don't, don't, don't go out and, and find yourself in a situation that you know God or relationship. Because relationships determines our destiny. That's why they're so important. That's why God wants to be involved in our relationship, our relationship decisions, because relationships, if you choose the wrong spouse, if you choose the wrong company, if you choose the wrong business partners, relationships has the ability to derail your destiny. And so we've got to be skilled at the relationship choice. We need discernment in the area of relationship. Come on, you're talking good, you look good, but I hear something in my spirit. Come on, so I cannot connect with you on that level. As much as I would like to, much obliged, I've got to go the other direction because I understand that the relationship decision is a big decision. It's a destiny decision. And so as I talk to you, family, I want to tell you that if we're really going to conquer the enemy's attacks, then we got to do the hard thing. We've got to first identify and cast out the enemy within me. Come on. It is those voices in your head. And I, I'm, I know I'm staying there because I feel you. I sense somebody that you've been hearing voices. They're telling you, you will never get married. You'll always be in this place. You'll never get, your, your business will never thrive. You will never experience authentic relationships because of what, you, what you've experienced in your past. And, and the devil is telling you lies. And he's telling you that you will never be loved like God wants you to be loved. But I came to speak to the enemy in you. I came to speak the enemy that's been lying to you. And I came to tell you that Christ died and he resurrected so you can have everything that he sent himself to this earth in Hakobosaya. He clothed himself in flesh so that he can give you, give you in exchange. He took my pain for his glory. And I came to tell you, those of you who are sitting in these seats this morning, I feel the anointing of God in this place. That there is such a moment that the Lord is speaking to hearts and he's speaking to minds and he's speaking to private battles and he's speaking to private struggles and you don't have to wear the shame of where you've been you don't have to wear the shame come on of what the enemy tells you when you're not in the company of your church family when you're not in the company of your family the enemy tells you that you are failure the enemy tells you all the lies about what you're not going to be able to accomplish but you can silence the enemy's voice by first being honest with yourself and saying you know what I may feel this way but that is not who I am I was created in his image in his likeness I may I was made like God I look like God I walk like God I am 
God's representation in this earth. I am who God says I am. And you don't know every day of my life, I have to tell myself that you, were, you are supposed to be here. Come on, because the enemy would tell me because of my past, which was dark, that you're not called or you can't do what God says you can do. But I tell the devil I can and I will because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you once you are willing and ready to identify the enemy in me. What is an enemy then? What is an enemy? An enemy, there are two definitions. I have portion A, then I have portion B. Uh, Greg told me, not, not Pastor Greg, but Greg, Col told, Greg, Greg Coleman told me this morning that I look like a teacher. I kind of feel like a teacher. <laughs> he says, um, not he says, it says here, see, I'm getting off, off track, guys. The enemy is someone that causes hostility with an intent to harm. That's going to make sense in a minute. An enemy is someone. So the first portion dealing with someone that causes hostility with an intent to harm. And here's the B portion. An enemy is also a thing that harms or weakens something. You got it? An enemy, A portion, is someone that causes hostility, watch the intentions, with the intent to harm. Portion B, a thing that harms or weakens something, maybe an organization, maybe something that weakens. We're talking about the enemy of koinonia. Maybe there's something that you're building, a partnership, but there is something that is affecting, it has become an enemy of that partnership. And here, here it is. There is a difference between hurt and harm. Now, Webster used these definitions interchangeably. It, they use a, the same definition for hurt as they do for harm. But in the spirit, there is a difference. I'm going to show you in, the, in a minute between hurt and harm and the different lies within the intentions, right? The, the difference lies within the, the intentions. Watch this in, in the scripture. It says in Proverbs 26 and, th 26 and 6, in the Good News translation, it says, friends mean well, Friends mean well, watch the intentions, even when they hurt you. But when an enemy puts his arms around your shoulder, watch out. Okay, that's the good news translation. From another translation, it says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Why? Because they are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds are of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The difference lies within an intention. A friend will tell you the truth. Or a friend may hurt you, not with the intention to hurt you, but maybe they do, did something. Maybe they were supposed to meet you somewhere and something came up and they didn't show up. And that caused a level of hurt. And you're saying, I, I don't know if I really want to be in relationship with them because they didn't show up for me. But if you really take the time to talk to the friend and hear the heart of what was happening, what was the extenuating circumstances that caused them not to show up for you, you will find if it's really an authentic friend, 
that it was not with the intentions to harm. They hurt you not on purpose, right? So faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So I want to go back to the Garden of Eden. I just love Genesis um, because it is where it is God's original plan and intention for man. And I want to go back there. Are you guys getting bored? Y'all good? All right. So I want to go back there because um, we see in the Garden of Eden the characteristics of the enemy out of me, right? I told you there's the enemy within and then there's an enemy without. But in the Garden of, in of Eden, we see the enemy uh, playing out his role uh, when he was, uh, it would come to, when he comes to question uh, Eve about what God had said, right? And so if you would turn real quickly with me to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. In the Garden of Eden, the enemy asks a question. Remember, I told you with the intention to the seed, the difference lies within the intentions. So his question was posed to Eve, and it was posed with the intention to deceive. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I may already have it. So in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15, I'm going to kind of give you the backstory. I'm not going to read it. But in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15, what's happening is that that Eve is in the garden. Adam is also in the garden. And while they were in the garden, God had given them boundaries, parameters. Remember I told you how God sets boundaries? He had given them boundaries and parameters. Like you can eat of every tree in this garden. You can have whatever you want. You can have whatever you like. But the tree that is in the middle of the garden, don't touch it. The knowledge of because a day that you eat of it, you're going to surely die. And so the enemy had to be somewhere around listening, ear hustling on the conversation, the commandments that God had given Eve, Adam, Adam and Eve. And so while they were in the garden, the Bible says that the enemy comes right back to Eve. Not Adam, he came to Eve because she was considered the weaker vessel. Can I tell you that the enemy will always play on your vulnerabilities? He will always play on your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities, the things that you don't deal with within. And the Bible says that, that while they were in the garden, the Bible says that the enemy said to her, has God said, has God really said? That's planting a seed of doubt that you cannot. He knew what God said, but he was asking the question with the intent to deceive. Has God, not, has God really said that you cannot have the tree, every tree in the garden? And she was like, uh, yeah, he said that we can't have a tree that we can have every tree. But the one that's in the in the midst of the garden, we can't have that one. Because the day that we eat of that, God said that we shall surely die. And he goes on to dialogue with her. Come on, you got to be aware of the conversations. He goes on and dialogue with her and conversation with her because conversations, the root word for conversation is converse. And it's for exchange. Whenever you enter into conversation with anyone, it's for exchange. There's an exchange of emotions. There's an exchange of ideas. There's an exchange of beliefs. And there's a, a, a hope that they will convert you over to something. Y'all didn't know that, did you? So conversations, we got to be careful what conversations we allow ourselves to enter into. Because the enemy came to her with the conversation with the intent to deceive. And he says to her that the day you eat of this tree, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of this tree, that you're going to be just like him, knowing all things. 
But wait a minute. The scripture says that he made us in his image and in his likeness. So they were already like him. The enemy always tried to get us to be or do something or go after something that God has already given us. I have given you everything that pertains to life and, 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 and godliness. But there are boundaries, there are parameters to the things of the kingdom. Just like you, if your parents, you set boundaries and parameters on your children. The protection is not for punishment. It's to protect you. I know that if you touch this or if you do this, this is going to harm you. Meaning it's going to damage you to the point where you will, be, you will not be able to recover. Or it would be very hard for you to recover. So I'm not going to allow you to partake of this thing. And so as we see this, after this all play out, we go on into the place in Genesis 3. Once we get to 3 and 15, God, once he come into the garden, he's looking for Adam. He said, Adam, where are thy? He didn't say E because I had given the commandment to Adam. And he said, Adam, where are you? His response lets us know if there's a true problem or is, is he ready to confront or be honest with himself? And we know that Adam said, I hid because I was naked. Well, who told you that you were naked? Who, who, who have you been listening to? How do you know this about yourself? Because nakedness was representation of my glory because when I was walking with you, I clothed you with my glory. So why do you feel as if you're vulnerable? Why do you feel like you don't have anything? Why do you feel like you need covering when I am your covering? That's for somebody. That's for somebody. You can catch that. That's for somebody. Why do you feel like you need covering when God is saying, I am your covering? So he says to the enemy, he began to make up a, a proclamation. I'm going to try to move a little further. After he found out that they had disobeyed him, he began to issue out consequences and also covering because God is a God of redemption, right? No matter what happens, he's always trying to bring us back into right re relationship with him. And so he begins to Give a proclamation on the, on the enemy. I love this. In Genesis 3, in verse 15, it reveals God's proclamation on the enemy. He says this in verse three in, chapter 3 and verse 15. He said, and this is the, the amplified version. He said, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, what did we say the enemy was? Someone that causes what? hostility with an intent to harm. So this is the enemy, the characteristics of the enemy out of me. Jesus says now that you've deceived her, now that you have done this thing, because the Bible says he was the most crafty animal in the garden. He said, now that you've used your craftiness, you've used this for the purpose of harm and deceit. He said, here is my proclamation to you. This is the curse that I'm releasing upon you, that there's going to always be hostility between you and the woman. And this plays out when Jesus talks about how he's going to bruise the head of Satan, so on and so forth. Now, we see the proclamation here in Luke 10 and 19. This is Jesus's. This is so good. This is Jesus's delegation of authority back to man. Right. 
I want you to listen to this. He says in Luke 10 and 19, he says, I, listen carefully. I have given you authority. This is the Amplified version that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions. Who was in the garden? A serpent, right? Posing as the enemy and the ability to exercise authority over what? All the power of the enemy. And here's, here's the, 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 the empowering portion. And nothing, I'm taking back his intentions, what he really, really intended to do. And nothing shall by any means harm you. The last, the first Adam, the first Adam lost, gave over his rights, right? He gave over through disobedience his authority. But the last Adam the last, so the, the, the first Adam handed over the, the enemy his, 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 his authority. But Jesus, who is considered to be the last Adam, said, I am coming and I'm giving it back to you. Y'all going to shout in a minute. And the scripture says, let the redeem of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of of the enemy. Here's the scripture text, 1 Corinthians 15 and 45. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. So my, I am so bent on redeeming you. I am so bent on bringing you back into right relationship that I'll go back and I'll do it over. Come on, you may have messed up, but God said, I have a covering it, covering. I have an advocate with the father. You have an advocate with the father that even when you don't get it right, I am always trying to bring you back into right relationship with me. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. Come on, let the redeem. Do I have any redeemed people in here? Come on. That's why the enemy hates you so much because you are the redeem of the Lord. He doesn't have a chance to get it right, but we do. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hands of the enemy. The solution is infused in the source. And I'm getting ready to close. God uses community as a tool for development, not destruction. I'll say that again. God uses community as a tool for development, not destruction. If you look at that word community, what do you see? Unity. You cannot spell community without spelling unity. And the root word of that, if you look a little further, is commune. So the more that we're in koinonia, the more that we're in fellowship, covenant relationship, we're communing, we're in intimate relationship with him. It breathes in us a level of unity that we will not have because God uses community. He uses you to sharpen me. He uses you to develop me. He uses me to develop you. He uses Pastor Wright to develop all of us. God uses community as a tool for development, not destruction. Not destruction. So we're, you're, you're in community and you're being torn down. That is not the heart of God. Right? Well, well, what does the scripture say about that? In Mark 3 and 25, it says, In a house, in a, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Right? If I'm constantly tearing you down, if I'm constantly doing things, I am not just 
being in division or disunity with my with you, but I'm being in division and disunity with myself. Because the house in the Bible represents a family, an organization, a people. So if we are divided, then we're going to we're going to be torn down. We're not going to be able to stand. And it's not just an individual thing. It is a corporate thing. When we come in here, we do corporate worship. We do life together. When we go out there, some of us are doing life together. We're in Koinonia together. And there are things that will affect our ability to be authentic in our relationship with each other. Listen to some of these things. The things that divides community, I'm getting ready to close, is offense. Offense. I heard someone say that offense keeps you locked into a prison. No one can really say anything to you because you take it personal. We're not trying to attack the person, right? We're attacking the problem. We're saying this is a problem, not you. You're not the problem, but this is a problem. And this is going to affect Koinonia. So offense can cause you because you really can't receive from someone you don't respect, right? And you're really not going to really look into somebody's eyes. The, the, some people say the eyes is a window to the soul. So you're really not going to really look into somebody's eyes if you're upset with them, if you're offended by them. You're not going to really be able to authentically be with them, right? Maybe surface. Then some other things that separates or tear down community is gossip. I hate it because gossip paralyzes a person or a people. The Bible says that God hates a terror bearer. That is somebody that goes around spreading lies, saying things about people, even if it's the truth. Some people may say, well, it's the truth. Well, that don't mean it's your truth to tell. Right? Everything that's, that's the truth doesn't mean that God wants you to say it. Can you keep a secret? Can people confide in you about things? Or when we see something, do we always have to be the person that, the, the terror bearer? Because the Bible says a whisperer separates chief friends. If you ever, have you ever wondered why people were so close? Like they were like really, really close. And all of a sudden they can't even stand each other. Because somewhere in that koinonia, there was a whisperer. There was a tail bearer. There was somebody that was there keeping strife. And the scripture says, where there is envy and strife, there is confusion. And there is every evil work of the devil. And God is not the author of confusion. He didn't write that book. The enemy did. So offense, gossip, disunity, that explains itself, right? We have an agenda. We have a vision. I, I couldn't even imagine having to do Pastor Rife's job and Pastor Shay's job. Like, I'm like, God, whew, just give me little bit more time because I'm telling you what they do is so impactful and it's so weighty. But when we come together, like even this morning with the media team, the things that go into everything that we're experiencing today, there is work behind that. I have, I've had the opportunity to serve with the worship team and it gives me another level of respect for what Amber does, for what everybody does, Rachel does, because I'm telling you and, and Steve and I'm like, oh my God, this is a lot. But they do it with ease and they make it look easy. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but when we are together in Koinonia, right, we strengthen each other's weaknesses. And I never, it, you rarely see someone say something about somebody and they go back and correct what they said when they find out it's not true. Now you got that lie floating out there. 
or whatever you say, you, people don't really go back and say, you know, hey, I was wrong about this person. Some people don't. So that's why it's important, like the scripture says, study to be quiet. And I'm wrapping up envy and jealousy. Those are things that separates us or divide us. You know, trying to, when you're jealous of somebody or you're envious of someone, you're losing sight on what God is giving you. You're not appreciating what before, what's before you because you're looking at what someone else has. And we always tend to believe that the, the grass is greener on the other side. But really, sometimes it's just artificial turf. You don't know what that person or individual had to go through and deal with. And all my ladies say, whoop, whoop. <laughs> but we have to appreciate what God has given us. And then two or three more, lack of communication, discontentment, discontentment. You know what I've learned and discovered for real? Y'all, y'all don't get mad at me. Y'all love me, right? Y'all know I love y'all. For real. Married people want to be single and singles, not all. And single people want to be married. I'm like, come on now. <laughs> come on. The Bible says godly contentment is great gain. There is a challenge in every state. Paul said it like this, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. And some of y'all folks that are trying to get out of y'all marriage, let me tell you about divorce. Let me tell you about the demon of separation. Now, if you're being harmed, then, you know, do whatever God is leading you to do. But divorce is like a death. How do you know? Because I've experienced it. It is one of the most painful and challenging things that you will endure because you really don't grieve the dead. You grieve the living. The person is still around, but you can't, your life, the life that you dreamt of, the life that you had no longer exists. And there are times, even now, I don't know why God has me been, been, been going down this way, but there are times even now that I have, I won't say spells, well, I have times where the enemy would trigger a memory of what I had and, and tell me what I lost and, and, and how you'll never get it back. But I have to speak back to the enemy and say, you are a liar. But I'm telling you, we got to understand that it is a state. Being married is a, is a state. Being single is a state. And the Paul says, and we've got to adopt that truth, that whatever state I am in, I'm going to be content. God, if you got me being single in this season, I'm going to appreciate being single. I'm going to be single-minded as unto the Lord. And whatever I can do to serve the Lord, whatever I can do to make life easy for others, whatever I can do to be what God wants me to be to the single community, then I'm going to do that in this season because there are seasons that's coming. The Bible talks about how the, the single woman looks after the things of God and the married woman looks after the things of her husband. And we've got to appreciate the art of women for real. Y'all, y'all, I'm just talking. I don't know why God has me going this way. But we have to appreciate the order. God did not make us to be a man for a reason. There is a reason why God made man the head of the household. Come on. We got to appreciate God's order and what he order and what he's established in the house. And honor our men. Honor who God created and made them to be. And the Bible talks about how we should respect them. How we should respect the men. And the Bible talks about how men that you ought to love your wives. 
Because when you love your wife, it becomes easy for her to respect you. But guess what? Even when he doesn't love you the way you think he should love you, there is still a commandment that we ought to respect and honor. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. Will you stand on your feet today as we're closing? Maybe you've listened to this message and you said, yeah, I hear all of that, but what are the next steps? How am I going to get from where I am to, to where you're saying that I, I'm supposed or I could be? Here are some steps that we can take to disarm the enemy in building godly community. One of the things we can do is ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas where inner healing is needed. What is inner healing? It is the process of identifying and extracting wounds that shape or change your personality. It changed your perspective. Something happened. For me, it was a divorce. And I had to go through inner healing. For me, it was, it was the loss of, of, of no longer being in the place of leadership that I once was and having to be single, a single mom again. Well, not again, by my trying to start life again as a single woman. I don't know what, what shaped your personality or what trauma you experienced that caused a wound, but uh, inner healing will help you identify and extract, which means to remove those wounds so that you can see life through the perspective and heart of God. Come on, we all have a story. We all have a history. We all have something that we've experienced in life that we really, really, really want to just throw it away and don't want to ever deal with it again. But can I tell you that when we don't deal with issues, when we don't deal with things, then we become consumed by it in the future. It's going to show up somewhere if you don't deal with it. 